Welcome to I've Tried Everything, a podcast series focusing on behavior support in schools. I'm your host, Angela Eisenberg. Our special guest for this series is Melinda Marquez. Hi, I am the coordinator for school improvement and accountability here at Region 13. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about classroom management and navigating what are we expecting from every classroom on campus in the world of classroom management. And if pulling in from what we did last time, in the series, we talked about discipline matrix of what is a classroom managed behavior versus office. If we're going to ask teachers to manage behaviors in the classroom, we need to give them the tools that they need. I'm thinking about a situation that I had in the classroom, and I definitely needed some tools in my tool belt in this arena. I had just asked the students to get into groups, and they were supposed to grab the materials and go to their group. I'm doing my thing. I turn back and all of a sudden, this one girl, um, she's probably 5'10", was just beating the crud out of this poor, scrawny little ninth grade kid. And I'm like, how did this fight happen in like two seconds in my classroom? And there was no way I was going to step in the middle because she would have flattened me out like a pancake if I would have (laughs) intervened. So I... I'm hitting the black button, you know, that infamous black button on the wall. And, I, and I'm screaming for my colleague that was across the hall. And I'm going, Miss Prater! Miss Prater! And I'm like yelling for Miss Prater to come over. And she said that she was teaching and she is like, boys and girls, do y'all hear that? Miss Prater! And because I'm yelling, Miss Prater, come over. Um, by that point, uh, by the time she got there, the office had not responded to my 50 uh, taps on the black button. And And uh, a boy had stepped in and separated that situation up. And so thinking about it, a new teacher, um, there were things that I should have done that probably would have prevented that fight from the world of classroom management. And if I would have taught students the expectations before going to pick up the materials, we probably wouldn't have had that issue of students grabbing what somebody else is going to grab or whatever that that might have been. Melinda, what did you expect Every teacher, when you walked through your campus, what did you expect every teacher to have in their classroom? Well, one of the biggest pieces whenever you're walking in as an administrator, what you can see, if you want to have an immediate C, would be some kind of reference or an anchor chart to the campus-wide expectations. Because if you you know, you have the strong system on campus, it's not just for hallways, restrooms, cafeteria. It also needs to be in the classroom, what, what's expected in the classroom. So you would want to see those anchor charts, uh, reference charts on the wall. But not only are they on the wall, but are teachers using them? whenever they're redirecting students. Are they just decorations hung up in the at the very top corner in order to comply with a checklist? Or are they being used by the teacher to really redirect that behavior? It's always fun as an observer to go in and the teacher do something that they've never done before or reference something that they've never referenced. And the students are looking at them like, I have no idea what she's talking about. That ever happened to you in a walkthrough? It has. I'm not sure that, especially our new teachers, because when somebody comes in their classroom and, you know, when I first started, maybe teachers weren't, they weren't used to having anyone in their classroom. Of course, that culture changed really quickly. But at the beginning, teachers weren't used to having someone in. So when someone would come in, they would try something new just to maybe show that they were following some of the procedures, but they really hadn't implemented them before. But it was quite apparent whenever 
teachers would do this because I would go ask a student and say, well, you know, what was that? And the student looked at me and said, I don't know. The teacher's never done this. I don't know what's happening. So that was a, a good cue that maybe that teacher hadn't been implementing those systems. That's got to be one of those awkward moments for teachers going, shh, shh. <laughs> I do that all the time. Um, when we think about classroom management, we think about what we're expecting across the board. There is no buddy that's going to say we don't need relationships. Right. I think r- relationships are a hands down non-negotiable in our classrooms and on our campuses today. Mm-hmm. And you know that was something that we built around everything as a classroom teacher. When I was a teacher, one of the biggest pieces to mine was building a community within the classroom. So it's not just about the relationship the teacher has with the child, but what are the relationships that the children have with one another? So you're building that community within your classroom. But then expanding that out to a campus from a principal perspective, it's so important for the principal to have relationships, for the students to have relationships with one another. I mean, it's just critical. You were telling me the other day that one of the the greatest practices that you really enjoyed implementing right toward the end of your time as a principal were circles in the classroom. Tell me a little bit about how that you guys utilize community circles. You know, that was something that we just started to implement, like you said, one of my last years as a campus principal. But a lot of the teachers really took ownership of that, and they had morning circles. You know, that's where those teachers were able to build that community within the classroom. You know, not only did we do it, the students did it with the teachers, but we had teachers who were working with circles with one another as well. And it, it, was, it was a pretty powerful strategy. It really shifts that momentum from thinking around what are students doing that are wrong to let's build relationships and focus on what students are doing that's right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the students hold one another accountable once they build that community within their classroom. Yeah, I think restorative practices is hands down. If I were to go back into the classroom today, it would be the number one thing that I put into place for building relationships and building class community in a way to naturally help redirect some of those behaviors that are happening. When we think about classroom management, we think about some of the greatest TED Talks and and presentations. Rita Pearson is or was, unfortunately, she passed away shortly after her TED Talk, but that is a TED Talk I recommend everyone watch. Yes, it is so powerful. And I've seen it probably 20 times, but every time I watch it, it gives me chills and it makes me want to share it to let everyone see just how powerful her message is. I like the the section that she says, uh, children don't learn from people they don't like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we all have examples, if you've been in education long enough, we have examples of we, how we got a student to do things for us that they wouldn't do for other people because we had that relationship with them. And unfortunately, some of our most challenging students on the campus have the best relationships with the administration. Mm -hmm. So going to the principal's office is, even though they're going to get in trouble when they go, it's a treat for them because they know they're going to somebody that cares about them. Right. And, you know, as an assistant principal is probably where I had the, the most powerful relationship with those Uh, students who, you know, you call them frequent flyers, they're in your office quite a bit. But I use those relationships to my benefit, because whenever those students would come in, 
I could really have a, a heartfelt talk with them, a one-on-one talk with them about their behavior. And it's not, they don't have their walls up. They know I'm coming from a place of caring and support. I'm not just the assistant principal that's going to give you a consequence and move on, but I'm really concerned about this behavior. And let's talk about this. And why is this happening? And what can we do to, to prevent it in the future? So thinking about, we have established that idea of, of relationships and, and class community. There are five key variables that I feel like every classroom teacher should have in place. And that is structure and organization as one variable, looking at the structure of your classroom, uh, classroom rules, uh, social contract, whatever that you're utilizing, uh, linking those to your school with expectations. If you're doing positive behavior interventions and support on your campus, really looking at the arrangement in the classroom. Can you get to every student and provide individual feedback to every student. I've been in some classes that have some unique arrangements. And the only way to provide feedback to that student is to talk over the desk of another student. So structure is important. Do we have an attention signal to signal when it's time for them to listen to the teacher and eloquently be able to do that so that you're maximizing time? I've been in, and I'm sure that, Melinda, you can give examples of classrooms where you heard, guys, listen up for just a second. Mm -hmm. Shh, shh, shh. I've heard that. Yep. Lots of shushing. Listen. Mm -hmm. Give me just a second. Hello. Yes. (laughs) Clap. Okay. And it's just not uniform. It's, yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, probably the most interesting attention signal that I saw was a teacher that had a doorbell around her neck, and it was a middle school teacher, and she would ring her doorbell whenever she wanted their attention. (laughs) And um, so the students ended up stealing her doorbell, and they passed it around the room and was, like, ringing it from different places in in the classroom. And... Of course, these students were really ingenious, I think, because they passed it to their next a student in the, the, the next class, and they kept ringing it throughout. It took her three class periods to find her doorbell. And so I kept telling you, your attention signal can't be tied to something. It has to be you. I think the only person that should have an attention signal that is not themselves is a coach when they're out there on the field or in the gym, but really utilizing the power of you in the classroom. Yeah, you know, as a campus principal, we had a a campus-wide attention signal that we used. And then each teacher was required to have an attention signal. They could use the campus wide, which was, may I have your attention, please? So anytime I had the students in front of me, and you know, at one point we had up to a thousand students in our pre-K through four campus, but that was an attention signal we used, but every teacher was required to have one. And they needed to let me know which attention signal they used. It didn't matter what they used, but they needed to have one. Yeah. So that's really thinking about those structures. I, I kind of look at it as the foundation to the house. If you don't have good structures into place, anything else that you build in your classroom is going to fall because the structure's not there. So really thinking around routines and procedures. Elementary, I think, has one of the the challenges of the transitions that are taking place on an elementary campus. Let's line up. And the amount of time uh, instruction is taken away for transitioning from one activity to the next, specials, recess, lunch, so forth, so on. Yeah, you can lose a lot of time with that. And that's why most um, elementary campuses that I know nowadays, they are building the time in at the beginning of the year to teach those procedures. And there was a lot of pushback from people saying, we need to get right into the curriculum. We got to start teaching those teaks right now. 
But guys, if you don't have those procedures lined out and students understand how much time you need to line up, it's going to eat into a lot of your time. I'm Melinda Marquez, and we'll get back to today's episode in just a second. If you like what you hear in this episode, hop on over to whatever platform you use and give us a rating and a review. It helps people find our podcast and helps us know what we can improve upon. Thanks. Now, let's get back to the show. One of the districts in our region here at 13, uh, I think did a really great job for setting success up for their district and their teachers on their campuses. They said the first week of school should be spent 80% on behavior and 20% on academics. So it was teaching those routines, those procedures, building those relationships. The second six week or second week of the beginning of the school year was 50-50, 50 50 on academics, 50 on behavior. The third week was 20% on behavior, 80% on academics. So it was kind of a, a slow build toward that academic success where we're building that front loading that that behavior management yeah and then coming back and revisiting that after breaks yes after thanksgiving break after christmas break spring break it's really important because people tend to fall back into their old ways kind of that rule of thumb if students have been gone for more than two days you probably need to review Mm -hmm. your procedures and routines Mm -hmm. so thinking structure is there Then we move to teach expectations, our second variable. Really, how do we teach students behaviorally what we expect from them? I think that academics, we have really worked on helping teachers to identify those success criteria, those learning objectives, and and thinking through what do we want students academically to get out of this lesson, this activity. But I think the thing that a lot of teachers lack is the ability to eloquently tell students behaviorally what they expect. When should I talk? When can I talk? How loud can I talk? Mm-hmm. When do I get to ask to go to the restroom? Oh, that sounds like champs. It does a little <laughs> bit. So Dr. Randy Sprick created a, a classroom management system called Champs. It refers to conversation, help, activity, movement, and participation. And I kind of look at that as a tool, as a great tool for classroom teachers to go by. I tell them the Champs acronym is for you. The expectations are for the student. Whether or not you use an acronym, that's completely up to you. What should it look like and sound like? during this activity, during this direct teach, during this transition, what should I expect to see from my students during this time? And how do I teach them? You can't just say, oh, I'm gonna tell them because every student doesn't learn by telling them. Like you might have to role play, you might have to have a visual in your classroom. Thinking around, we don't have a one size fits all approach for academics. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we have manipulatives and we have uh, cooperative learning. We have direct teach. The same concept should be used in the world of behavior. How are you making sure that we are teaching those behavior expectations in a way that will resonate with the students in your classroom? Right. You're, you're teaching to those individual learning styles. Mm-hmm. And I think people forget about that. We kind of live by that they should know how to do this. They're in the fifth grade, they should know. They're an 11th grader, they should know how to behave. I was on a campus one time and I'm doing a staff development and I had set expectations to be gone for an hour or whatever for lunch. And 
I had maybe a fourth of the staff that was back on time from lunch. And so they had given me a lot of pushback on this need to teach expectations. They said, our, our, we're, we're high school. Our students should know what to expect. They should know what to do. And they got back and I said, guys, it seems as even adults, we need to have clear expectations. And they weren't very happy with me, but it was a, hey, as a red flag, as adults, we need to have clear expectations. How many times, Melinda, did you have to go and remind a staff member that they had duty? Oh, my goodness. Yes, that happens. That happens. Mm -hmm. And it's not like that, you know, as adults, we have evil playing to thwart somebody. But we get busy. We're, we get wrapped up. We get pulled into a conversation. And so we just need to be reminded of expectations like our students do. The third variable to look at is observing student behavior, really thinking around how are we circulating, scanning, and really listening to what students are saying. In some realms, we call this withedness of knowing what is truly happening in the classroom. Probably the funniest story with this was a campus that I pulled up to, and there was a, they were portables, and these kids are crawling out of the window of the portable, and I'm like, I didn't even stop by the office to check in. I just went directly to the portable, and classroom teacher was in there, and I was like, excuse me, sir, um, there are some students that were crawling out of the window, and he said, who were they? And I said, I am so sorry, sir. I'm a guest on, or a visitor on campus. And I'm not quite for sure. And he said, well, I'd, I don't know who I'm missing. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that would be withedness. Yeah, that's the opposite of withedness. Yes. <laughs> yes, most definitely. So, um when we think about observing student behavior, it's that proximity management, looking at how are we using proximity and moving throughout the classroom to observe student behavior, but also doing it in a way that's a proactive approach. Uh, if you've been in education long enough, you might have remembered the fish philosophy. Do you remember the Seattle fish market where they created those videos? Mm -hmm. I do, I do. It's, it's been a long time, but they, they had four kind of philosophies of choose your attitude, make their day, play, and be there. I like the idea of be there. When I'm in the classroom and when I'm supervising students, I'm there in that moment. Because if I'm walking past a student that is misbehaving and I don't address that behavior, I'm endorsing that behavior. So really being in the moment and, and observing that. Interacting positively is the next variable, thinking around how do you interact positively with your students? What's the ratio of positive to negative? What are some positive approaches that you guys did on your campus to help increase those positive to negative ratios? You know, one, one of the strategies we implemented was a positive phone call home from administration. So I had, it was myself and then I had one and a half APs. And every week on Fridays, we made positive phone calls home. So teachers would recommend, we used a Google Doc, teachers would put their name, the student's name on the Google Doc, the reason why they wanted the, a phone call home. So we made it a priority to sit down, pick up the phone and call parents. And so they could have a positive phone call from the administration. Got a lot of great feedback from parents on that because, you know, the first time a parent picks up the phone and it's the principal, it, there's a like a panic over the parents, but for them to hear that their child did something great in the classroom, and I just wanted to call to let you know how proud we are of that student. It really did change the perception of the campus administration team and the school culture 
all in all to when it came to parents. What a great idea that not only helping the students see you, but parents see you in a different light. Mm-hmm. And you're helping support your classroom teachers with, hey, find students that did the right thing this week so we can accentuate the positive. So mm-hmm. I really like that idea. Oh, well you. done, Melinda. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> like, I'm going to use that for my future training. So really thinking around how are we positively interacting with students and When you think about a classroom, you typically have more students in your class that are compliant, meeting expectations, but unfortunately, it's like we have a radar on top of our head, and we're looking for the kid that's doing the wrong thing instead of all of the students that are doing the right thing and really honing in and making those students stand out and their behavior stand out. So the last one is correction. And really looking at how are we correcting student behavior? What is the menu of consequences for this classroom? We talked last time about the discipline matrix in our last podcast in the series. And we talked about having a menu, having ideas of how the teacher can handle those classroom behaviors. But I think it's the immediacy of doing it. And it's the individual interactions. Melinda, do you have any stories or any examples of maybe how a teacher got this wrong or a teacher got this right of how they corrected student behavior? You know, there was a lot of, there was some talk around correcting the behavior in front of everyone in a very loud manner. And, you know, and I don't know if that, no, I, I do know. I do know that that is not the right approach to that. But I think teachers were thinking, you know, I'm going to do it in front of everyone and it kind of use embarrassment as part of that intervention or consequence. But it really is better to pull the student out. And that's where those relationships come in. You know, if you have a good relationship with that child, you should be able to pull them out and have that conversation with them about their behavior and, and then decide what to do from then, but not to do it in front of all the entire class. And when we think about that, it's a shameful practice. And when we think about how that we, how shame manifests with different people, we think about the compass of shame from restorative practices. And when you feel shame, you go into one of four spots. You either just withdraw, you attack self, like I'm so stupid, I shouldn't have done that. You might go into complete avoidance, that's truancy, eloping, could be thrill-seeking behavior, drugs, alcohol, or you attack others. Mm -hmm. You you do the turn the table, the blame game, or maybe verbally, physically attacking somebody else. When we think about shame, but that's where those power struggles come into play. So teachers, you know, they wanted to stay away from power struggles, but yet they're shaming some of the children right in front of their peers. And really some of those kiddos, that is their first instinct is to fight back. And it becomes that power struggle where no teacher wants to be. Yeah. So when we're thinking about classroom management, we're thinking about filling the tool belts of our staff on our campus. It is really thinking around how do we correct behavior in a way that we are showing empathy? Because those students are coming with sometimes a lot of baggage and a lot of things. And sometimes they're reacting to situations that have happened in the past, but that's their, their way of reacting. That's what they know. One of the practices that I shy away from, I ask people to shy away from is the CLIP system. And one of the challenges with clip system in the classroom is that we're publicly putting your name with with being bad right so we we say you know melinda you're you're down i'm going to put you on death black by 8 30 kind of thing you know so the other piece is we make you do the walk of shame so not only am i going to move your clip but i'm going to make you go move your own clip down so really the, the thing I hear from teachers, it's not about their need for this clip system. It's the need for how do we track 
behavior because we want to make sure that we are able to communicate with parents around what happened. We also want to communicate with principals with what's occurring in the classroom. And for some people, they rely on that CLIP system as a way to then reflect on behavior from the day. But there are other ways to do that that uh, you could do where that you could even have some type of system where you kind of jot down just a check mark on a behavior, like maybe we're working on listening this week. And so I'm going to check whenever I see Melinda needing some help with listening, or I'm going to flip it to the positive. When I see Melinda doing a great job listening, I'm going to go by and I'm going to put a initial on the post-it on her desk. So at the end of the day, I can see how many students got initials today for listening that we're working on. So it's, it's kind of flipping that idea of how do I correct and how do I give positive? Uh, and sometimes correcting somebody is by showing somebody else that they're doing the right thing. Melinda, I really like how you're being positive. So that's a positive for you, but a redirection for somebody else. So those five key variables, again, were structure and organization, teach expectations, observe student behavior, interaction and correction, interact positively and correction. So as a campus principal, I would look at those five key variables and say, what are the main pieces of those five key variables that I'm looking for? How do they fit within our evaluation system? So if you're using T-TEST, how do they fit under the domain of the learning environment and managing student behavior and classroom routines and procedures? So thinking around how do these all link together? What am I expecting? And then how to train the teachers on that. Tell me a little bit about some classroom management trainings that you did for your staff. Yeah, we we did implement CHAMPS. So that was a school-wide system that we implemented. And we also did the PBIS system. We were able to implement that campus-wide as well. When you did training, was it whole staff or small group? We started out whole staff and then asked if anybody needed, you know, felt like they wanted additional information or as we were creating the system, putting the system out there is the easiest part. It's that monitoring and implementation piece. So once we monitored it to see if it was being implemented, then we would do some maybe tier two trainings for some teams. Yeah, you know, I think it is, how do you provide support, ongoing support? I think it's a misnomer that I can sit in a classroom management workshop for six hours and then be proficient in managing my classroom. Sometimes it's, how do I get support? How do I ask for help? What does that process look like? And a lot of teachers are scared to ask administration to come in and give them some help in classroom management because it might look bad on them. Mm -hmm. to phone a friend for for help. So how were some of the things that you alleviate some of those fears? Was it, did you do things that like set up teams where that maybe within their team that they got support? Or was it really just work on your end to make sure that teachers knew that you were more than just an evaluator? Yeah, it was, it's all about the campus culture and climate, you know, and once again, it goes back to relationships, you know, relationships with the principals and the students, but the administrative team and the teachers, it's not a us versus them. It's a come to me and let's work this out together. It's, you've got to have that kind of culture. Yeah, so I think we're, we're seeing now a trend here that it's more than just one specific group to another. It is how the entire campus is working as a unit in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for joining us today in our podcast series of I've Tried Everything. We've talked about classroom management today, um, going through those five key variables, really thinking from a principal's perspective, what are we expecting from every classroom teacher? And then how do we communicate 
that information to our staff and train them and support them as they venture into building their classroom management systems. Our next series in the podcast is going to be on consequences versus interventions and how do we navigate when is a consequence when is it an intervention so thank you very much for joining us today melinda thank you for joining me i really appreciate it thank you i'm glad i'm here and i guess we'll see all the listeners next time all right bye on next week's episode we're going to talk about consequences versus interventions if you liked what you heard today don't forget to subscribe rate and review us i'm angela eisberg and i'm melinda marquez and we'll see you next week